Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Ditch the clowns on the left and the jokers on the right and join Michael Smirconish right here in the middle. This is the Smirconish Podcast for Independent Minds. Doug Belkin from the Wall Street Journal who covers education really struck a chord with something that he published earlier this month. Men are abandoning higher education in such numbers that they now trail female college students by record levels. It's caused a whole conversation to take place, including the fact that two individuals weighing in as to the why question or providing their own why answer now have one of the most popular items at the Wall Street Journal. And and it is in furtherance of what Doug wrote back on September 6th or published on September 6th. Here to explain is Doug Belkin. Thanks so much for coming back to the program. Thank you very much for having me. So what caused you to focus on this issue? I I was wondering that as I read and reflecting on the fact that when one of our sons recently uh, graduated, there was an award ceremony as part of the graduation. And my wife and I commented on just how many of the awards had been won by women. Now, that speaks to academic achievement because there were still a lot of men represented. But what is it that caught your eye about this subject? This is one of these whales that swims around in in higher education and really across education. Um, And sometimes it takes a sharp turn and accelerated in COVID. But this has been going on for a long time. What made it an interesting story at this point, I think, was two two things. The first being that um, it hit a record because it accelerated so much during the pandemic. A lot of especially uh, young guys in community colleges dropped out or just didn't enroll this year. And so uh, the, the, the gender gap increased. And the fact that this is such a difficult problem for universities to tackle because the politics are upside down just makes it a really interesting story. And it's one of these stories where people see it and they understand it, but it's not often acknowledged. And that, that you know, makes for a good news story. When you say the politics are upside down, do you mean it puts universities in a difficult position of, of trying to go after more men as applicants? Yeah, it, trying to go after more men, right? So this this issue of affirmative action for boys is a very provocative one, but it's 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 uh, you know it's important and it's been happening for a while. And then this issue of what to do about this: how do you stem this? Schools have been aware of this for decades, and they've uh, not answered the bell particularly effectively. And so that raises the question as to why why, why is this continue to grow? Well, what's bringing it on and why wouldn't universities be concerned about it? Maybe they don't view it as a problem. 
Some say they don't. Uh, they say, I, I spoke to the president of Boston University, and he said, you know, they're about 60-40, and that's fine. Um, I think it's a problem for a few reasons, and I'm not entirely sure that they're being uh, ingenuous when they say that. Um, first of all, financially, it's an issue. A lot of schools are struggling. They need students to come in and pay tuition. And so if you're if, if half of the population is coming in at a significantly less uh, smaller percent than the other half, then, you know, that's a market share you can go after. Um, so th- that's one thing. The second thing is what happens after graduation? What happens as, as uh, these young folks continue on with their careers? What are the doors that are open to them and what are the doors that are closed to them as a result uh, of not going to college? And th- that's a much broader issue that has many more um, consequences. Yeah, and it has consequences not only in the workplace. I'm, I'm not a social scientist. I haven't thought it through even from a lay perspective, but that's part of what interests me about this story. So if there's been this reversal, and I think that's what we're saying now, where proportionately it's it's women who are overrepresented vis-a-vis men, okay, what happens in the workplace when they graduate? It would seem to me that you're going to see a changing in the ranks of corporate America in terms of who's in a leadership role. But something else, Doug, is, you know, the the social or societal implication. For example, marriage. I mean, don't we tend to marry at our own educational level? And if that's the case, where does that lead? Women have uh, historically looked for men who are as educated or more educated than they are. That's been the, the tradition. There's just not going to be men to fill that role. Now, that doesn't mean that there won't be men who are good providers, who have good jobs, uh, but there's going to be fewer men who have college degrees and graduate degrees. And that is going to create a friction. And it is creating a friction, I think, in the in the dating marketplace. Uh, and you saw this, I think, in, uh, in the black community. You're, you're, there's a lot of uh, ink spilled this in the 80s and the 90s when the incarceration rate was really jacking up uh, very high, and, and black women were saying there, there's just not that many eligible black men to marry, and I think that sort of thing is going to is going to uh, start happening across the country now. Well, did you? Of course, you did. You saw the piece that the the journal has published from Richard Vetter and Braden Colgrove, where they try and analyze your reporting. In other words, you came forth with the data that shows that men are abandoning higher education in record numbers. They came along and tried to explain the why of men disappearing on campus. What did you make of their explanation? It's all true. I mean, they, they, they hit the nail on the head. What's, what's interesting about what's happening now is that it's, it's accelerating, right? So that makes it a, a, it was a good hook for us. But the incarceration rate has been high for a long time. The other thing that I think is really changing is that there are pathways to the labor market that are uh, outside of the four-year degree, and that, that's growing. Um, so there's a shine, there's a polish on apprenticeships and on the trades and on coding academies and in you know fewer companies or more companies are saying it's okay if you don't have a four-year degree. That's just beginning to happen. But I think men are responding to this uh, because they're fearful of the risk and the debt that a college education now entails. In your reporting, you had this paragraph: social science researchers cite distractions and obstacles to education that weigh more on boys and young men, including video games, pornography increased fatherlessness and cases of overdiagnosis of boyhood restlessness and related medications. So speak to me, flesh that out and tell me why are more men abandoning pursuit of a typical college career path? 
So this starts early on. The, um, the, the boys in education and girls in education begin to part ways by second grade, third grade, by fourth grade. The literacy gap is significant. So there's a lot of things happening here. One of the big shifts is boys are more vulnerable to fatherlessness than girls. There, there's more problems associated in, with, with young men, young boys, um, than there are with young girls if they don't have a dad in the house. So that's an issue, and fatherlessness has been increasing over time. Um, when the, the way schools are structured, it, it, uh, it res- the students are rewarded for their ability to concentrate, for their ability to focus and sit still, and girls do that better. The demands on young students have increased over time as the curriculum has shifted and we've become more of a sort of test-centric education system in the very early grades. The result of that means that the uh, girls are flourishing early, the boys are struggling, and then they're getting labeled as kids who can't concentrate. Maybe they act out. Maybe they get put, maybe they get diagnosed with ADHD, um, put on Ritalin. They end up in a situation where school becomes a struggle. They don't like it. They disconnect. So by fourth grade, you're seeing kids who boys, you know, a disproportionate number of boys who aren't reading well. And that just, it just builds on itself by, um, you know, by, by sixth grade, suspension rates are very different. Uh, drug abuse rates uh, begin to shift. Um, and boys graduated at a much lower rate than girls from high school. But, but Doug, what's, school what's, was, what's yeah. new in that? What is new in that that would make that a cause of why we've literally seen a reversal of the proportion of men and women who are pursuing college education? So that reversal starts about um, it was there was gender parity in higher education in 1980. Um, the, the numbers were flipped in the 60s. This has been a, a long, slow sort of glacial movement. One of the shifts is that um, about 30 years ago, they pushed testing down, literacy testing down into uh, 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 I think into third or second grade. When they did that, they pushed the curriculum, the, uh, the reading curriculum from first grade to kindergarten. Boys, they develop more slowly. Their prefrontal cortex develops more slowly than girls, so they struggle more. So there was an acceleration, I think, of a disconnect around that time. Um, there's many fewer male teachers, and that, the, 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 the gender gap in teachers has grown over time, uh, and that can have a deleterious effect for boys. So it, there's nothing dramatic happening in education um, you know, uh, one day at a time, but over time these things accrete, and, that's, and, and, and they've built up, and then you have the situation with the pandemic, and it sort of sped forward. Could any of it be political, and could it be a rejection of perceived elitism? I mean, if you look at the polls, right, uh, and especially how Republicans versus Democrats view higher education, there's a significant uh, shift in attitudes, a different chain, a, a delta between between the parties. So, uh, and then the cultures in, uh, on college campuses are decidedly liberal, um, almost across the board. So that has, and then there's there's a lot of um, railing against the patriarchy against issues that may be problematic for some boys who come onto campus and they're told, you know, you, you, you can't harass girls, you can't be uh, um, antisocial. And some of these guys, there's a percentage of guys who, are, who have a problem with this stuff, but the vast majority of them don't, and they feel sort of attacked and accused. One of the guys I spoke to in the story that didn't make the cut of the edit but was really interesting was a kid at UCLA who is a psych major. So UCLA is about 60-40 um, men to women, and then said psychology majors even more um, uh, dominated by women. 
And so he got these lectures and the message was, you know, sent pretty clearly to him that he needs to be very respectful and not, and, and that means speaking in class, don't dominate discussions, don't, don't do a lot of things that he may be, uh, he may want to. But the, the comment he made that really struck me was that he said he lived in a dorm and on one side of him, there was a young woman and she would play her music very loud and he would not knock on her dorm room door to ask her to shut down the music because he did not want to be perceived as a bully. And the quote that was in the story that got cut was, um, I try to make myself as small as possible on campus. So I think that aspect of what's happening on campus, uh, that the sort of cultural shrinking is part of this whole issue. Sum up, make us all look smart. What, what could we tell someone at the water cooler today or at the dinner table tonight about what they've learned from Doug Belkin of the Wall Street Journal? This issue with young men flailing in education is going to have long-term ramifications that uh, we can't see yet. And they're to some extent hidden because, you know, politics, industry, academia remains dominated by older guys, older white guys. That's changing now. As it changes, there's going to be a renegotiation between the genders. You can see that now. There's a lot of tension around this issue now. Uh, That's going to increase, and it's something to watch. Doug, it's really fascinating. Thank you so much for your willingness to drop by and discuss it in more detail. Always a pleasure to connect with you. Thank you. That's Doug Belkin from the Wall Street Journal. Men are abandoning higher education in such numbers that they now trail female college students in record levels. At the close of the 2021 academic year, women made up 59.5% of college students, an all-time high men 40.5%. So 60-40. That's according to enrollment from the National Student Clearinghouse, a nonprofit that looks at such things. The education gap, which holds at both two- and four-year colleges, has been slowly widening for 40 years. The divergence increases at graduation. There's a lot of data here, and as I say, he reported on this on September the 6th. If you look at the journal right now, You'll see Richard Vetter and Braden Colgrove. Let me tell you who they are. Uh, one's a fellow at the Independent Institute and teaches at Ohio University. The other is an undergraduate economics major. They co-author a piece for the journal, and they try and offer an explanation. And they come up with four reasons. Why is this happening? Here are four reasons. Each of them is fleshed out. I'm only giving you the lead sentence. First, The initial surge in female enrollment is explainable by a rapid rise in female labor force participation. Okay, that makes sense. Second, labor market shifts have played to women's interests and strengths. Third, women have on balance outperformed men academically. That would be the commencement exercise that I described at the outset of the conversation. Fourth, there are about 1.24 million more men who are incarcerated than women, largely preventing them from attending traditional college. And then they conclude this way. They say it's great news that more women are going to college and entering positions of leadership in business, politics, including a vice presidency, and every imaginable corner of the culture. A woman will one day be elected president. That milestone, when it happens, should be celebrated. But men adrift, not keeping up in school, struggling to form families and succeed will eventually have profound consequences on the nation's economic prospects and political leadership. T.C., your thoughts on that or what? Okay, so I was listening to you two and thinking, here's another example of my bubble not only with where I live, but with whom I associate, because this is not something that I 
was aware of or felt in a personal way. In other words, everybody I know is fine going to college, doing this, doing that. Uh, and so it's really important to hear this and see what's going on. The two things that jumped out at me from your interview was when you said, uh, what what are the social ramifications of this? I thought that was really interesting. In other words, what's going to happen if you can't marry laterally? And then the this quote that he said that didn't make it into the article, which I thought was interesting, was that people are that the man, one of the men that he was talking to was trying to shrink himself to to fit in campus, that the sort of shrinking of the societal norms on campus or what was expected of you. I just think it's fascinating. So, uh, yeah, the the implications socially, culturally really do interest me because I'm well, I'm thinking, for example, that that my father was the first college graduate of his family and got a master's degree, married my mother, who had a high school education. And I can remember the friction that came from her out earning him later in life because they were products of this, you know, 1950s environment of a very traditional. This is the way the household is supposed to be structured. and, And this is the way that um, it is supposed to uh, be governed, for lack of a better descriptor, right? I think we're going to see the re- the reversal of my parents' relationship educationally in the future, where it's going to be, you know, here's a woman with a master's degree married to a man who has a high school education. There's nothing inherently wrong about that. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying, but that's going to be a cultural shift. And... Yeah, you know, really to different. the to the extent we, we often seek people who are at our level from an educational standpoint or growing up in the same communities or, you know, fill in the blank. I, I think we seek out common experience. It's it's just natural. What's that going to do to relationships? I don't know. I mean, I'll tell you what I'm very interested to hear. I'm mean, very interested to hear from from callers who are already filling the telephone line. So I better hurry up and say this. But I'd like to know about relationships that are the reverse of the traditional women who have higher education than men to whom they're married or with whom they're in a relationship and shed some light on that. If we can sort of amplify this conversation. I have the sense that the younger generation doesn't so much care about that. In other words, I think that you and I are dating ourselves when we say that it will be an issue. The word that you used, friction, with your parents many, 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 many years ago is less with our generation and will be non-existent with the generation upcoming. That's what I think. I'm I could so, be wrong, okay, but that's what I think. You're, okay, your your theory is your theory is that a, that a woman on a college campus today, when she graduates and is now looking for a spouse – that the education level of that spouse is going to be of diminished importance than it would have been in the era when we graduated. I think that people will always try to be paired, whether it's um, whether it's a marriage or a partnership, whether they get married or don't get married, whatever it is, with someone that they respect. Whether that means it's a level of of education, I think that's I a think fairy that tale. Might be less important. I think that is a what, fairy tale. A fairy tale. Yes. That you don't think, you, you you remember, think no matter what people are going to matter. You, you the, remember the education is going to matter. Yes. I remember I remember the book Marry Smart. And it was written by a Princeton alumnus. I had her on the program. I'm embarrassed to say that her name escapes me. You will probably think of it. And uh, now I know that you're Googling it just so everybody knows that TC does not have it at her fingertips either. <laughs> 
But her whole premise and, and, you know, there was such blowback. There was such blowback to what she argued in the book. And yet intuitively it made sense to me. You know what Susan she was Patton. saying? Susan Patton. Thank you for that, TC. Susan Patton. How could I how could I forget? I remember her book. That's for sure. But Susan Patton's premise was to undergrads. Hey, take advantage of what the admissions office has done for you. They have carefully screened a pool of prospective marital partners. I know, but but right? Susan Patton is your age. That's my whole point. I think it's different now. I do. I really do. I, thought, I mean, I when I, Michael, was... I got married when I was 22 years old. All my friends in college said, oh, you got your MRS degree. I mean, come on. Yeah, it's but different you now. Met, but, but wait a minute. You married. You're, you know, you make my point. You married a classmate. I know I make your point. I make your point because I'm almost 50. I'm talking about the kids that are coming up now. TC's been almost 50 for seven years, if you're counting at home. That is not true. <laughs> Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Michael Smirconish for Independent Minds. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit make these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Superlight Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Superlight Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And, because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S code SUPER24. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts.